Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is minute 45. We're at the halfway mark, almost, almost at the halfway mark. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and returning with me today is my gregarious, charming, and vigorous guest co-host, Alan Sanders. Welcome, Alan. Thank you so much. I am, I've said it each time so far, I am just still beside myself that I get to talk about one of the most iconic scenes in this movie that everyone, whether you loved it or hated it, everyone knows this scene, and thank you for inviting me. This is really cool. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. And you're absolutely right. Like, I think if a lot of people, you're like, you know, remember that movie Tron, you know, the, uh, the light cycle one, you know, like that's the one, that's what they'll, that's what they'll, they'll remember is this sequence was really, I think maybe the most famous sequence in the film. I think so, so too. I think this is, yeah. I mean, the ring game was kind of fun, but it was more yeah. gladiatorial. It was more, we've probably seen that on a version of Star Trek or something. No yeah. one had ever seen even the the trench battle of Star Wars that stands out is like, oh my God, that's kind of yeah. like this is the trench battle. It just happens in the middle of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This would have been a sweet finale, come no to think doubt. of it, if he, if he had no to doubt. somehow race against Sark for the, I don't know, to get access to the IO tower at the end of the film or something. That would have been a pretty sweet finale. Uh, I can't wait to do that last fight because that's a strange fight i'm looking forward to talking about that but okay in this minute here flynn bests his opponent and escapes through the crack in the wall that tron created at the end of the battle he calls to ram and tron pincer the last remaining blue guy and they all narrowly avoid a recognizer and get on out into the outside maze world into the the raw grid i guess or whatever they've got going on out there so blue takes a heart What's you already that? finished the minute. We're done. There you go. And <laughs> you uh, thank you very much. And go to <laughs> tronologically.com if you want to get in touch with us. And, uh, it's been great having you out. Hey, we wanted you to get your Friday off uh, to happy hour early. So <laughs> right. just, uh, you don't have to sit in your car to finish the episode. Just go inside. Grab a beer. <laughs> what if we did a movie by minute, but each of the podcasts was only a minute long? Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> it would just be a commentary. It would just be a commentary. All right, so Blue takes a hard left, forcing Flynn to do the same. Blue, too, says, I'm taking him into the maze, meaning he's funneling Flynn into the forest of jet walls left behind by the other still-living players after they've been racing around for a while. And there's a shot here that looks like it might be an accident because Flynn's got the lead, and he didn't in the last one. And it coincides with the Blue driver saying, I'm taking him into the maze, but it looks like Flynn is forcing the Blue guy to follow him. So, I don't know, it's like they changed places for a shot. Mm-hmm. It's a good ground cam shot where the cycles run right around either side of the camera. That's one of the pluses about virtual cameras is the motion might not be smooth, but you can put the cameras anywhere you want. <laughs> you can just put them anywhere. That's one's right. cool thing about designing a, an entirely CG world. I think that's what had a lot of cinematographers excited about seeing this movie is they're like, oh, hey, geez, you could do whatever you wanted with the camera. Any aperture, any kind of position you want to put it in and i think that that sparked a lot of people saying hey 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 we should look into this more you know like more so than creating lifelike animations but i think it was probably very interesting to all the cinematographers that were watching this movie yeah i agree let's see here there's a great close-up here this is another close-up of flynn driving and he's freaking out he's 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 shaking and he's focused he's in the zone because he is about to experience pure terror going into this going into this light wall maze 
Well, one thing to notice is that it's going back to a point I made in minute 43 is that these cockpit, these cockpit close-ups, mm-hmm. they're, they're also entirely hand-drawn. There's no CG in these cockpit close-ups. The, the bars of the light cycle are just airbrushed. The lines going across, that's just uh, someone drawing lines going across, right? All this, all this uniform airbrushed curves and the struts of the bike and all that it's all hand done and it really gets wow. made seamlessly into the cg just it's fantastic the way it all goes together it's not an obvious cut to a drawing and then a cut back to cg it just it fits in perfectly that's a real accomplishment i think art direction wise so here there's we get a, well sorry go ahead there was a there's a weird moment though which we i don't think of we see it until this minute with any of the turns it's, and, and to me, it's almost a, a fraction of a second jarring is we see Flynn turn in his cockpit. It's yeah. as if as if he's switching seats or something. Yeah. It's really weird because it, it, we don't see that until this moment. No. So it's, 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 it, it's kind of nice. Yeah. It's the only time in the whole in the whole race that we see a side view of somebody as they as they turn. So that's uh, it's. Yeah, I, I agree that it doesn't quite work because we only see it the one time it's a little confusing like what happened what just happened there like yeah i mean in some ways it's kind of neat because we get the sense oh okay the camera was looking directly at the windshield but these guys are turning so on a dime literally a 90 degree 90 degree turn that the camera is like oh no i'm on the side of the car (laughs) so yeah but uh it does give you that sense of how fast are your reactions i mean this is like jedi <laughs> controlled yeah. reactions to oh. be able to handle these turns yeah that's why when people talk about the ai takeover or like the you know like in the terminator when you've got the the t-1000s walking around shooting people if they're ai controlled i'm like well every single shot's going to be a headshot you know, they're not going to be, oh, no, I missed. Like, the computers don't miss. And if the computers are controlling these bikes, like, you can see it here in this race, the way they're going at 90-degree turns, millisecond after millisecond. It's impossible. It's impossible for a human to keep up, although Flynn really does. And that's that's why he's so scared, because this is everything he's trained for up until this moment is being used to its utmost to survive this game. And we get this sweet POV as he goes through the maze. It's gold on one wall and blue on the other. And it's like one light cycle thick. There's like no room for error. Any wrong move means death. And it it happens almost too fast to tell. But he goes left, right, 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 left, right, left, 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 right, left, right, left. And then he's out in the clear again. (laughs) But... I just remember in the audience at the time watching this movie, you couldn't even breathe during this sequence. You were like, <gasps> you're like, look out. Duh. Duh. And then when he comes out in the clear, you're like, you, I don't know how you survived. I don't know how you survived. It really shows the reflexes that you'd need in a, in a situation like that. And it's just a terrifying, terrifying situation to be in. And Jeff really sells it. It all comes together. Um, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curve here for just a second because sure. every time sure. I think about this scene and this movie, I think about the book Ender's Game by Orson Scott okay. Card. Did you ever read that or see the movie? I sure did. I sure did. I wonder, and I don't know enough about the author, if he was inspired at all by this idea that training for an actual war could be done through a video game because Flynn, 
we see at the beginning, he's one of the best gamers out there on the real world on the other side of the glass. And now yeah. he's suddenly in this world fighting for his life. And whereas Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, they keep thinking they're playing like harder and harder video game levels, not realizing they're actually controlling ships that have been getting closer and closer to the alien world that they've been trying to yeah, defeat. They're not they're not training for the battle, they're fighting the battle. Right. And I wonder how if at all was was he influenced by this movie because I can't help but feel the same thing. We get this parallel of you're playing the game in a world where if you die, oh well, who cares? You're still in the real world. But now you're on the other side of the screen. It's life or death. But he's yeah. been training for it his whole adult life. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a good question to ask Orson and say, hey, were you influenced in part by uh by Tron? That would be great if it was if it was. Because cool. Ender's Game came out in 85 as a book, and this movie, obviously, 82, so... Oh, I didn't realize it was that close. I thought Ender's, I thought the book came out in the early 90s or something like that. That's right on the tail of Tron. He could have, like, seen Tron, gone home, started writing, and then published Ender's Game in 85. Yeah, That's it came cool. out Janu- it was January 15th, 1985, the official so- publication date of the of Ender's Game. Well, they were part of the same milieu then. They were definitely part of the same cultural timestamp. I'm sure there was some even unconscious cross-pollination going on there for sure. And by yeah, the way, for good. our listeners, if you've never read Ender's Game, the movie wasn't horrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't yeah. horrible. Great yeah. music. But yeah. the book, ridiculously good. I was blown yeah. away. I had no idea what was going on yeah. in the book until no. the end. The book is one of those seminal perfect little classics and it's not too long either you can just pick it up bang it out and it's a it's a it's a real treasure it's a real treasure Mm -hmm. some of the original designs for the light cycles as i was looking at here some of the original designs for the light cycles didn't even have wheels they were like low flying planes but still with the with the light trail you know they wanted to do yeah like the curves and they they gave the the preliminary designs to sid mead who made who ended up making the final light cycle design as as we know it except he had the rider kind of connected to the bike by like a segmented back carapace that would like twist with the rider so the rider could look around and he had this sort of armadillo layered shell that would go back and become part of the bike and that was like forget it that's not going to happen you know so they just made a canopy that went over the whole rider so you could just have the basic shape racing around on the grid but that is that's also another aspect of the design that they realized in Legacy. In Legacy, when the when they're driving around on their bikes, you can see they've got this segmented back carapace that leads into the bike that twists with them as they move around. Mm-hmm. It's cool. They kind of they got to bring it to screen at some point, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's where the technology finally caught up with the imagination of the of the yeah. designers. That's where we're at right now, which is I think a really fantastic time in history. Is whatever you want to make. You can realize it on screen, and that's yeah. your only limitation. Well, that and a whole bunch Money. of people working <laughs> free, free overtime, grinding away in some office somewhere. You know, I guess it's not. There's a human cost. There's a huge right. human cost. But no, you're, the 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 limitations of what can be conceived in your head versus what can be really filmed have pretty much gone away. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of too bad. In in a lot of ways, a lot of the genius of some of these incredible landmark films were realized because of the limitations they were like well we can't do that so we're gonna have to do it this weird way 
and then that ended up being a scene that everybody remembers or a, a flavor that everybody's like oh that was that was fantastic that was that real real style that we all loved and it, it was actually because of like here in tron the way the 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 world pulses with light and is very alive like halfway through the characters having a conversation the walls will just like pulse with light you know that's to cover up artifacts in the uh in the film itself where the characters would suddenly go light for a second and they were like oh no this is unfilmable but we don't have six months to redo the shot over again They're like well why don't we just have the walls pulse with light and that'll create like an excuse yeah and, so and it they, worked they did that and it works great now the film is lived now the world is lived in and alive and it's not clinical one thing to one thing to keep in mind though is that throughout all of this all of these shots it's kind of blew my mind. None of the final images could be stored digitally. Like uh, that's what I'm like. A, like these frames had to be generated, but then the camera had to take a picture of it. Oh wow! So you would you would you would generate a frame, maybe even in a couple of passes. But then once you had it on film, it went away, and the computer would start rendering the next frame but it wasn't wasn't being stored anywhere because these computers had like 2 megs of ram and 300 <laughs> like and they had like 300 meg hard drives which was like huge at the time but these things are putting out images that if they were stored you know they would be you know they would be like i don't know 40 or 50 megs at the time which is like that's like 3 frames would take up the entire hard drive of the computer so they had to like generate the frame take a picture destroy it generate the frame take a picture destroy it so really really powerful computers but like no memory so if a shot didn't amazing yeah so if the shot didn't look perfect there was a good deal of like well do we really have the time to do this whole thing over again you know they're generating stuff that they have to be thinking about like a year into the future the shot gets blown up cut out overlaid matted in sent to taiwan sent back, painted, lit, photographed, rendered, and then after all that, it doesn't even get saved anywhere else besides the film. So you're seeing all this stuff for the first time during dailies as the end result of a mountain of work. So if you don't like it, you're kind of out of luck, right? You really have to measure the cost of doing it again. And that's why the, the planning that went into the front end of this was extreme i don't know if anybody that was involved in this production i think probably halfway through production there was probably a good percentage of the crew that was like what have we done i (laughs) I, there's no way i can put in the work that's necessary to finish this well you don't have a choice like we're on we're on the trolley now this is the bus we chose to ride on so let's bring it home i'm sure there was a lot of that going on you know, we talk about this a lot in uh, uh, my group of folks and uh, radio and, and, and other podcasts about, I'm going back to what you said about learning to overcome challenges. And you look at some of the greatest directors that we grew up with, the Lucases, the Spielbergs, and I wonder, you look at some of their later work versus the early work, and I think the early work stands out sometimes because with the early work, the shark wouldn't work. With the early work, you couldn't follow a plane into a trench the way you could, like you can in 3d, you had to do other techniques to figure out how to solve those problems. And I think sometimes when we make it too easy in the CG world, they, it becomes almost like lazy filmmaking. And I love 
looking at earlier work of people saying, wow, look, they had to overcome these challenges. Now they just have to throw money at a computer. And yeah, sometimes the, it's for the yeah. detriment. Sometimes it's for the detriment. One of the scenes that I can think of is the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina in the original Star Wars. They only had like 15 creatures. He wanted the place to be packed with creatures, but they only had like 15. So he's like, Ugh, how do we do this? And so they created the illusion that the place was packed by having a close up on each head. Mm-hmm. So you, you get devil guy and the weird disco ball eyes guy and, and the little bat dude reaching for a drink. You get all these close ups on everybody. And because you see them in a quick succession like that, you're like, wow, this place is packed. But there's no right. crowd shot where you can see them all together kind of thing, because then it would be apparent that there's only a handful of of people in costume. And it works. It totally works. My impression of Maz Eisley is that it's packed with weirdos. But then he did Jabba's Palace and there's like 200 people in costume. And he was like, finally, now that I've got the ability to realize this vision, there's this wide shot of Jabba's Palace and there's 200 people in there. I don't really remember them. I don't really remember that. I don't. I don't remember there being two hundred people. I don't really remember the different people that were in Jabba's palace. Exactly. In the same way, yeah. you know. So it's this limitation that made for a much more vibrant scene. Like some people, when directors sometimes get everything that they want, you know, the film ends up being five hours long, or there's just <laughs> too much going on. Or these, yeah, these shots like in the final, like Ready Player One or something. You know, you've got the shot with, there's like 900 characters in this scene. And you're like, I know, geez, too much. <laughs> like scale, right. it, scale it back. There's a whole lot of coulda, not a lot of shoulda going on here. So the, the limitations can really create something beautiful. But it can be very frustrating too. So I definitely see the temptation to just go all out when you finally got the ability to realize what you had in your mind. Mm-hmm. There's something to be like, said about learning to overcome adversity though, so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they say, oh, geez, what is it? Yeah, they say that films are not finished. They're abandoned. <laughs> I think that's anything creative. I heard that about novels. Yeah. You, you, you can never finish a novel. You just abandon it. Yeah, like after it's published, as you're reading it, you're like, oh, you know what would have been better here? <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> too bad. Too late. <laughs> yeah, that's what's... That's I wish someone had said there, that though. to Lucas before he decided to go back and keep tinkering. Yeah, well, I think Just a few people him. did, but he was too powerful at that point. Like, I don't know. True. There's a lot of there's True. a lot of with Ridley Scott, the the cult of the director's cut. There's all this kind of stuff that that ended up. Revisionist history is now common, and. uh you know, with different creative endeavors, and I just kind of like, you know what? Just let it stand. Just let it stand. I you think it's crazy. Like, we, like George we get Miller. Di- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you were talking. Well, George Miller talks about how he never looks back, right? He hasn't released, a, a, you know, different edits. He's like, well, the film's over. I'm never going to watch it again. I've got another movie coming up. You know, like, he doesn't, you know, it's like, it's it's done. You have to You have to be like that when it comes to creative projects. You have to go to the next project, and you have to leave the one, in, or or it'll tear you apart. Like right. that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why I think George Lucas went back is because every time he saw Star Wars, he was like, "Ugh, ooh, we couldn't do what we wanted to do. Oh, I sure wish I had another chance. Oh, maybe one day. Oh, Jesus is haunting me." And so when he had the chance, he's like, "Finally, yes, I can go do this." You know, and if you if you let it haunt you like that, then you'll go back and you'll redo it fifty times. You know, because yeah, never but there's a be fundamental perfect. difference between going back, which I don't have an issue with. 
cleaning up a shot or maybe making it look more fluid sure versus changing the the temp the tenor of a scene the yeah. whole a la han shot first don't yeah, tell yeah. me you wish you could have gone back and filmed it differently you had the ability to shoot with greedo shooting first you didn't sure so why did yeah. you change it yeah 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 because he's a different he's a different person now than he was back then you know now right. he's got i don't need and- vader to look over at the emperor and add the word no and then throw (laughs) the emperor off the railing no we get it he sees his son being killed he can't deal with that he decides to turn on the emperor i don't need words yeah don't tell me you couldn't shoot the dialogue no (laughs) yeah that's that's when you're taking tinkering way too far yeah I, i i totally concur uh, so we get another shot of Flynn shaking as he drives, and now we can see that he's driving straight for that giant crack in the wall from Tron's earlier kill. So we get mm-hmm. a shot of the blue cycle racing neck and neck with Flynn, and again, it seems like maybe the cycles have switched places here since the camera seems to be doing a slow zoom in on the blue cycle in the foreground with Flynn's gold cycle only peeking out a little bit in the background. There's um, an IMDb in the, the goofs section of Tron, it mentions that the light cycles change places for a second in the earlier race with Sark. So I also wonder here if the bad light cycles being blue, well, that's a different thing, but I wonder here if the bad light cycles being blue means that they started production on this whole sequence back when the bad programs were going to be blue. But by the time they changed it, they were too far down the rabbit hole. So they just made red programs drive blue bikes. Because that's, that's what they had to do. But I wonder if some of the bikes here during the races are changing places. But because everything's happening so quickly and no one's going through it minute by minute, <laughs> they figured no one, no one will notice. And, and for the yeah, most what part, idiots it holds up. would do that. <laughs> right? Who's got that kind of time? Who's got that kind of time? The, the, the very notion is ridiculous. Um, so as they head for the break in the wall, Flynn has Tron's original jet wall right beside him. The blue light cycle is right beside his other flank, and there's only space for one light cycle in the short jet wall corridor leading to the crack. And whoever doesn't make it is going to get derezzed. Now the blue driver looks to his left at Flynn for a second, and it's hard to tell if this is just another insert shot of Captain Marvel or Shazam, Jason Bostwick, even though he died earlier. This looks like it could be the same guy. I think they used this actor for all of the shots of the blue drivers, even though there were three different people in the original lobby area. I think mm-hmm. for these, these light cycle shots, I think they all used Shazam because they had, uh, except they're all like really quick shots. So they're like, you know, turned three quarters away from the camera, like in this shot or something like that. But Well, one thing we do know is as Flynn makes his way to that crack, that same blue wall that uh, Flynn was driving his first, uh, I mean, that, that uh, Tron was driving his first victim along yeah. is not the one that uh, Flynn just took out because the wall is still there. It's still there. Yeah. So the last, <laughs> yeah, the last line, that's, that's, that's uh, the last line standing. That's this one blue guy left after this because this guy drives face first into that blue wall and, uh, and discorporates. I also think it's important that we see as soon as he exits the grid, which goes back to my theory from last minute or on Wednesday, once you're no longer on the grid, your your light, your jet wall disappears because we do see it disappear as he leaves the grid. Yeah, well, we got a shot of Sark looking down at this development and he's remarkably calm. I thought that he would be all like, what? You know, but he's... uh, 
I assume this is an insert shot from a different scene that they recycled that they just put in here to get some sort of reaction shot from him. But I think he would be a little more incensed and freaked out that one of the guys is apparently escaping. <laughs> I think he'd be like, whoa. But instead, he's just kind of calmly looking, looking down. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, thankfully, if you're watching in real time, you almost get a sense of he's looking with mild interest or concern. You could yeah. read it kind of however you want. And so when yeah. you're in the moment, you're like, he realizes what's happening. Like, almost like looking over, is he leaving the grid? As if he can't quite put his mind around it just yet. So yeah, it doesn't yeah. throw me, but I think you're right. If the actor had known, okay, now you're upset if they had been told, okay, give me a reaction shot. I think you're right. It's a recycled shot of him just kind of looking over his console. But in our minds as the viewer, we kind of go, oh, he's he doesn't know what to make of it just yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Flynn's uh, Flynn's laughing now, and then he says, gold three to gold two and gold one. I'm getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited. And Ram says, got it. And now we see that Ram and Tron are on either side of the last blue cycle. I feel kind of bad for the last blue cycle here because he's, he's so, it's like, oh, dude, it's two against one. You're really, you're toast. But um, it sucks to be this guy. Then Tron says, ready, and Ram says, ready. And I assume this is... This seems like something that they practiced a lot. Like this is maneuver mm-hmm. number 22 that they've done, a, like the fastball special with Hulk <laughs> and Wolverine or, or something like that. So they're smirking, and we get a quick insert shot of the red driver, still looking a lot like Jason Bostwick. I guess he played all three. Yeah, like I was saying, I think he played all three. Um, and Ram says, so long, sucker, which is an odd thing for him to say, considering that's a real-world real slang thing to say. <laughs> and they've adapted a whole lot of other slang to be computer speak, like they say, like, you know, I don't know, there's some earlier slang that they slip circuit boards and stuff. There hasn't been a circuit built that can hold me and stuff like that. So I figured mm-hmm. I figured Ram would say, like, so long, zero bits or end of line or <laughs> d- divide by zero program or something like that. But he says, so long, sucker. And then Ram and Tron. End of the line for you. <laughs> end of the line for you. And then Ram and, Ram and Tron get ahead of the blue cycle and they shimmy towards each other in a maneuver that must have taken amazing uh, cycle twitch skills. They go from having three feet between them to having like one foot between them in a, in a millicycle. Again, it's like you were talking <laughs> about before that the bikes would almost have had to overlap for a frame to make this maneuver possible. They would have turned towards each other and collided <laughs> because they just would have overlapped immediately right so it's like a, a right a, almost like a cheat code or an error exploitation or something i went by it's I went almost it. like the bikes are untangible it's only the light bars that are tangible yeah yeah that's right so and then you go by when you're going i went by it frame by frame and tron jigs right first with no turn on his bike it's just one frame he's straight and then in the next frame he's over six inches and there's a kink in his uh jet wall light trail and that Ram at this point is just about touching Tron's leftover jet trail light wall from his first maneuver. And then in the next frame, he does the same thing, jigging over to Tron over the course of one frame, forming the trap. It's very well done. I didn't realize it was just taking place over one frame for each of them. But because it's staggered, it doesn't seem super unnatural. But uh, it, that's, it works. So they form like a Y-shaped wine glass funnel dead end. And now mm-hmm. the... Uh, Poor blue driver has nowhere to go, and he screams. He screams really well. He's like, ah, and then he collides with the bottom there and uh, explodes. So that's the end for the blue drivers. R.I.P. Blue drivers. Well, thankfully, this crack must be wide enough. I know we're going to get to the uh, the um, 
recognize are coming down and I've got an issue. I, I do have one yeah, tiny no. issue, but we're, we're, uh, I think a, we, we're, we're parking our cars in the same garage here. I think we're both going to have a similar issue coming up. Okay. But I do interestingly think when you saw Flynn leave the maze, the crack was only wide enough for one light cycle. Yeah. But when you've got two leaving at the same time, there's no way side by side while they still have their tails or their jet walls that they could do it. So in yeah. some ways, the recognizer buys us the ability to mask that it'd be impossible for them to both leave at the same time. Oh, yeah, sure. Because it's covering up the crack in that shot. So, yeah, so we can. Yeah, ex- absolutely. I think that's definitely a bandaid. Yeah. All right. So let's see if we're on the same page when the recognizer comes down. Yeah. Why? What? Why? Yeah. Why does he decide after he's like literally at the, t- the top of the jet wall, he needs to now after <laughs> coming all the way down. He needs one extra boost up before jumping down. It's like jumping off a diving board and then pausing for half a second before you hit the water. Like it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> None at right? all. Not at all. <laughs> it's so he comes dumb. down. It's just uh, it like a lot of the inception of this movie back in the day was much more cartoony and comedic. At one point, they were even thinking of putting Robin Williams in the lead, and they had like video game cowboy characters and. A lot of uh, a lot of silliness. Like the MCP had two guards called Frick and Frack. You know that kind of that kind of silliness, <laughs> right? So I think there's just the tiniest echoes left over, and this strikes me as one of them. Where it comes down, it goes whoop, comes up again, and then like it's winding up for the pitch, and then it comes down to stomp. It's still a really big, scary foot that comes down mm-hmm. in a crushing crushing maneuver but they plainly plainly should have died in this in this moment in a, in both ways because they it's not wide enough for two people and even if it was wide enough for two people we only see tron's light trail get stomped on which means ram must have left first well, if you pause for just a brief second right after the hiccup and then stomp, and as the first light bar goes down, you sense the second light bar, although it's the exact same color as Tron's, but you do sense there's two light bars. Oh, no way, really? Oh, yeah. okay, cool. But they're not the they're, one's not red, though. They're both oh, gold. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just Tron's, that's just Tron's leftover light trail from... Uh, the first maneuver he did at the very beginning of the game. Oh, maybe in that case, yeah. then where did, uh, where did Ram go? <laughs> yeah, Ram go? Oh, it's hard to tell. Cause it's definitely not it. You see two walls going down. And then of course yeah. on the far, far edge, you realize against the wall, you see the same orange going down, but yeah. you don't see the red trail. You just see for a second, it looks like there's two trails, but now that you mention it, it would have to be Tron's from the earlier maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah, so I guess, and then we see them in the hallway. Flynn is laughing as he's driving down the crack, which apparently is a mile long. That must have been some collision with the blue bike. It's like it's created a fault line or something. There's this <laughs> long, jagged corridor from the explosion, or at least that's what I look. That's what it sort of looked like to me. Do you think the crack was just in the wall of the arena, and now they're in some sort of? See, I always thought of it as they are now in some kind of a, a, a very slim corridor. I never like thought a, of it that the crack was this long. but Because like when you see oh, the reverse yeah. shot at the very last second, the walls are looks like they're 90-degree walls on both sides with maybe a couple of little stair-step rises. Yeah, you're it right. 
But you're I, well, but I don't know that I'm right. I just in my mind, I never thought of it as being a crack quite that long because yeah, by the time we get kinda, this shot, it looks like it just yeah. looks like a corridor. Yeah, it's kind of, and it's but there's little steps on the side of the corridor. Look, it looks like kind of an irregularly shaped corridor. And don't so forget I, the overhead shot back on Monday. Um, as we moved into this grid, all of the interconnecting pathways look more like yeah. a maze. Yeah. Leading into this area, so. Yeah. Okay, so they've just broken through the wall, and now they're out on the access corridors or whatever. That yeah. makes more sense. That's I like how that I better. Look at it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I'm 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 going with and, that. And by the way. If Ram got out first, and that's why we didn't see his red trail, how the hell did he get behind everybody at the very last second of this frame? Yeah, of this yeah. yeah, the next shot is down. Also, it seems that uh, Ram's, or no, whose bike is it? Who's in the lead? Flynn's in the lead, then it's Tron. Tron looks like he's got a green bike. I think it's maybe just the... Yeah, it's the, like a the, yellowish the, green now. Yeah, now it's kind of, and I I know that Ram had a green bike in the novelization, so maybe this is a an old shot that got in that they couldn't change. It must have been. I think this was part of the original test footage that they might have shown to investors. Either that, or it's just the lighting. Either that, or the lighting makes it look a little greenish or something like that. I don't know. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a, there's a few acceptable losses that are happening here that I think most movie by minute podcasters get this thing where they like look at their favorite movie in great detail and they're like, oh, oh, actually that's, that doesn't quite work. And you're like, oh, well, that's too bad. You know, that's, that's, mm. that, no one was ever meant to dissect it like this and it was as good as it was going to get at the time. So this is one of those moments I think where I'm like, why is it green? It's like, it's half a second, man. Chill out. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. It's not a, it's not an error. Who knows what went on with that? So I, I, no, like, and I honestly, wonder. I can I can swallow it as being well. There's it, it's a little darker in this tunnel, and maybe yeah. the light's a little different. It's just yeah. a, a hair off in the shading. It is what it is. Exactly, and I wonder, like, if if Steven Lisberger, hey Steven Lisberger, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you know, I wonder if uh, I wonder if he's cringing at the level of detail that we're watching this with with the, <laughs> with, the with the eye. Well, that if he's listening, I will also think he'd hear us talking about with what reverence, like this is one yeah. of our all time favorite scenes of the movie. Yeah. We, we love, love the it. movie. We love what you did. This is a labor of love. We, we can't get enough of what you created. If you are listening. Cause I know that, uh, recently on the, the Mad Max minute, they just did an interview with George Miller and he's been listening to the, their, their movie minutes. Yeah. And uh, he's been loving it. And he's been going, wow, excellent. All the detail I put in there, you guys are actually noticing. This is fantastic. So he's really been enjoying listening to all of them. And then he finally did a, an interview as they closed out Fury Road there. So, that was amazing. That um, was totally amazing. What a coup. That's just like, what? Wow. That's yeah. the pinnacle. That's the trophy right there. So Yeah, now we all got to step up our game. You know? <laughs> we we all thought like... it was cool. We had Burton Gilliam from you know Blazing Saddles join us for an interview, but... They got the director. We've been trying to get Mel Brooks. Do you know how hard it is to get Mel Brooks? Word. <laughs> so hard. There's no way. So hard. But we keep trying. We're yeah. like, we'll insert you later like you were there at season two. We don't care. We just need to get an interview. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that, you know what? It, that is very cool for them, and I gave them a big shout-out and a congratulations. Uh, they've been on uh, minutes uh, on our season one and uh, season two of our podcast. Uh, great guys, the Mad Max Minute uh, oh, husband yeah. and wife team. They are really, really cool. I've been loving that podcast. I've listened to the, to the whole thing, and they're just wrapping up the end of Fury Road as we speak right now. 
and that's like uh it's been fantastic because i love those movies and geez just amazing what they took on and what they managed to accomplish and then to get george miller himself is the cherry on top at the end what a reward oh yeah right if if they feel like that they had wasted any of their time or if they look back and go well what did we no you got the director of one of the most iconic franchises in all time to join yeah. you because he was listening come on that you're yeah. done. You've, you've made was, it. You, I don't so, know. How do you top that? <laughs> how do you top that? And he was so complimentary. He was like, oh, your podcast was great. I loved listening to it. Like, oh, they both just must have been in heaven just having that happen. Because they've been, you try to track down people that are involved with the film and they've all got better things to do, which, you know, understandably. So it's wild that he took the time out to do that. No, very cool. And uh, right. again, big congratulations to those guys. Yeah. Steven Lisberger seems like a pretty friendly guy. So I don't know. I'll reach out and we'll see what happens. That's, uh, give it a uh, shot. Well, the worst that can happen is he says no. He's, right? he's already not coming, so what do right? you got he's to all, lose? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that takes us that takes us about to the end of minute forty five here, it looks like. Yeah. And uh it, I have to go over the differences between the novel and the screenplay. In the novel, the guy that Flynn D. Rezes slams into the arena wall, not another blues jet trail. And Sark is screaming and ranting and raving and smashing his fists under the control panels. Um, Ram takes care of the remaining blue bike by himself. That pincer maneuver is not in the novel or the screenplay. And uh, what is it? Oh, and as they're escaping, there's a bunch of sirens and recorded messages saying like, warriors must stay within the game grid. Repeat, all warriors <laughs> must stay within the game grid. Warning, warning, that kind of thing. It keeps Oh, cycling. oh, sorry. I guess I'll go back now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I heard, oh, I heard I the see. automated message. <laughs> right. So the walls we just smashed through, that's, <laughs> right, gotcha. But he also, Sark, has the realization that Ram and Tron are improvising and they're thinking of escape in ways that they never have before. Like Flynn is infecting them with user-itis. Like Flynn is giving them user feelings, you know, proclivities that are like rubbing off. So that's that's the danger. Right. The danger of having a user in the system is that he gives other programs hope and the ability to sort of like, well, maybe I don't want to do that. You know, that's something I, that they don't really have before. Kind of like the Borg, right? There's no, there's not a lot of choices going on in the Tron world, and that's what the users bring. I like how you use the word hope. That's what I was going to say is it's you get caught as a program because we all know if anything about programming, you it only can do what it's designed to do. So it's in an endless loop. It's start, middle, end, start, middle, end. Here comes a guy who says, hey, guys, I'm leaving if you want to come with me. Now it's a new path. You've done yeah. something that hasn't happened before. So now they can do something they've never done before. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so awesome. That's, that's, the, that's the true great thing that the users, that's what I, I kind of want more of in future Tron properties is like that's what the users bring and that's what's threatening to the overarching mcp or the 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 order of that world is that you're, you're kind of bringing chaos to a very logical ordered place with all the sort of good things and bad things that that brings oh there's just such fertile ground for more tron stories i really hope that disney plus needs content and just goes hard and starts bringing some other stuff like this. I am so, so yeah. with you on that. It, it yeah. just, it needs to be well thought out. And I think the problem with Tron Legacy is we had all these cool tools. Look what we can do now. And nobody stopped to really conceive of the better story. Maybe it was a better story when it started 
and too many hands got in it. I don't know. That sometimes happens with a property like this. Too many people throw in their ideas and it just felt too it's muddy. It's interesting. There's like, cause there's five story credits on the, um, I think there's four or five story credits in, in Tron legacy. So I get the, f- and it kind of feels like that. The movie plays like there was five ideas that kind of got squished together and tried to make into one coherent thing. And there's a few errors with it that I don't like, but I watched it the other night and I liked it. I liked it a lot. Like I watched it the other night and I was like, you know what? I was too hard on this film. Story-wise, it's actually really good. And they pay so many nods to this movie. There's so many Easter eggs about this movie in there. And the story's actually really solid. I don't know what I was expecting the first time I saw it, but I remember I was a little disappointed as well. But watching it again, I'm like, you know what? This is a really wonderful uh, companion to this original movie in 82. But I do want more, you know? I thought the cartoon did some great stuff, and I, I want more. Just because I figure... I don't know if people have trouble conceptualizing what you can do in the Tron universe or what stories you can tell, but I think it's bottomless still, especially with like the internet and everything that's happening with like Russian piracy and all this YouTube stuff. And I'm like, guys, like the computer world is just rife with these stories of elemental stories of, you know, triumph and hope and fear and evil like all this kind of stuff it's all happening around us right now so i think it would be a pretty simple shot to make a a really good story inside tron but i haven't made a bunch of movies i haven't written a bunch of screenplays so what do i know (laughs) what i know is that make making a movie is very hard that's that's what i've picked up from any exploration i've ever done is that it's it's very hard so well since the last time you and i chatted early on in this season I've started to watch some of the animated series, so I'm looking forward to completing that. Excellent. I will go back and rewatch Legacy because I do love the soundtrack. If you do not have the, um, oh, uh, 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 gosh, I was going to say Daft Punk, but that's uh, Mad Max. Uh, is it Daft Punk as well? Or no, it's Daft Punk. Yeah, yeah, Daft no, Punk. No, um, Daft Punk wasn't Mad Max. Mad Max was uh, what's his face? Uh, Junkie XL. He did. That's it. That's yeah. it. I'm getting it backwards. So Junkie XL, yeah. Mad Max. So Daft Punk. I love the score to oh, the best. The, to Legacy. It is the so good. It's the best. Like um, Wendy Carl Wendy Carlson killed it with with Tron in nineteen eighty two. And the I was like, how are you gonna top it? Like the other character in the film is the soundtrack. How are you gonna top this, Tron Legacy? And they updated the visuals perfectly and they updated the soundtrack wonderfully. That soundtrack nails it and those are two huge things that the movie would have tanked without and they nailed those both 100 percent. Right. i will in deference to you because i do love this world and and i played the tron 2.0 video game that yeah. came out what a 10 12 years ago which i thought was a phenomenal game yeah uh, because i thought i was like why couldn't they make a movie like this uh you know this adventure being caught in the computer world but yeah i'll give legacy another try i just think yeah for me, it just felt muddy. Like it just, it had a lot of really yeah. good elements, but they just didn't know how to really connect it all. That's that was my yeah. feeling. Well, I it was. It. I was very fascinated watching it again because I didn't feel that muddiness that I felt the first time. I was like, oh, actually, this is really cohesive and well put together and well thought out. So okay, I don't know. Well, I'll I don't give know it another go then, thinking. because you know yeah. what, I've got Disney Plus, and why not? And why not? <laughs> well, all right, that takes us to the end of minute forty-five. It's been great having you back. I'm really glad you came back. I'm glad you got to do the light cycle action. That's the seminal, definitive 
scene here and uh it was it was all yours so that's uh that was I, awesome i feel like i you know we talked about our mad max friends getting george miller i feel like i that's it i've, I've reached them the pinnacle of being a guest i've hit the absolute <laughs> most iconic moment in a movie and get to be the guest I, i'm usually the guy who gets like the opening credits the end credit uh the transition scene catching a bus ride and you know <laughs> but no i actually had a chance to be in the most like m- amazing moment of this movie. I mean, they're all great. I love this movie yeah. start to finish, but yeah. this three minutes of start to finish, we've played the video game. We've been on the grid. We defeat three of the bad guys. And now freedom is around the corner, or at least a new future is ahead of us. And I, yeah. I can't wait to see how this all continues to play out for you. Uh, and I'm just so happy you're doing it because it's a great movie that deserves this kind of treatment. Yeah, no, I totally concur. Fantastic. Well, um, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at Tronologically Speaking. Drop us a line on Twitter at Tronologically Speaking and uh, send us an email at TronologicallySpeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Minute. Again, check out Alan's stuff at uh, was it Wilder Minute, WilderRide.com. It's the WilderRide.com. We got lucky, a short enough name, and no one had any derivation of it. So whether awesome. it's social media, email, of podcasts it doesn't matter it's all under the wilder ride just google it you'll get all the different places fantastic and then yeah for everybody who's listening go on over to moviesbyminutes.com and go to heaven because it's fantastic there's 150 movies there at this point i'm sure there will be more by the time this is actually live and uh see if your favorite movie's there and if it's not consider doing it yourself all right alan do you want to try a little a final end of line on three sure all right. One, two, three. End, End of, of line. line. Hey, we nailed it. Yay. <laughs>